a podcast about the overlooked, forgotten, and underground tales of San Francisco. This is Sorted SF. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sorted SF. Um... And I think I wanted to just, not I think, I know, that's why I'm recording this. Um, I wanted to just share kind of some background on San Francisco, you know, where we came from, who we are. I don't know where we're going, probably nowhere good, but uh, let's start at the beginning. The obvious natural start of the story would be with the indigenous people who had been in the San Francisco area since 3000 B.C., um, I don't have the mental capacity right now to deal with all that murder and genocide. Uh, and even though obviously there are some really sort of sorted events in there, I just don't want to talk about the killing of babies in the name of settlement and religious conversion. Um, but I will tell you that the original people who lived in San Francisco were the Yelamu group of the Ohlone people. I'm pretty sure Ohlone was the name of like a campsite or the summer camp group I was in um, at Pine Lake Summer Camp, but I think they've since changed it to animals because it's like kind of disrespectful to name a summer camp group on native land full of white kids um, after uh, native people who had been forcibly removed from the land. So we're going to kick it off in 1769 when a Spanish exploration party led by Don Gaspar de Portola arrived on November 2nd. I wonder if they could see the water or if it was too foggy. Seven years later, the new Spanish San Franciscans established the Presidio, which, as you know, is the amazing, cute place that the Walt Disney Museum is. Also, the site of the Bay School, uh, which is one of the schools we played sports against uh, in high school. It's a pretty cool location for a school. I don't know if you did the math, but seven years after the first Spanish came puts us in the year 1776, which means that the American Declaration of Independence was being signed and the East Coast was doing its fucking thing, all while the Spanish were hanging out on the West Coast, doing their own bullshit, completely unbothered. What is America? Who is England? Fuck them. Also in 1776, another Spanish guy by the name of Juan Batista de Anza and his squad came over and established... Mission San Francisco de Assis, aka Mission Dolores, which is obviously a mission. A mission was basically a big church complex built by the Spanish to convert Native Americans to Catholicism. It was a 100% convert or die situation. You know, they took all the kids, brought them to the mission, made them convert to Catholicism, and then raised them in the church. Really gross. Uh, Mission Dolores is actually the oldest structure in San Francisco, and it still stands. So life was, I assume, kind of shitty for a while. Definitely for the natives, because they were being converted and, you know, forced to change their perfectly beautiful way of life. After an 11-year war ending in 1821, the Spanish lost control of San Francisco and California, and San Francisco became part of Mexico. While Mexico was in charge, the missions lost their importance and forced conversions tapered off which is cool so at this time manifest destiny was a big freaking deal so there were a lot of white guys coming over to do their thing like taking stuff over 
1835, William Richardson, a naturalized Mexican citizen of English birth, erected the first independent homestead near a boat anchorage around what is today Portsmouth Square. Together with Alcalde Francisco de Haro, he laid out a pl street plan for the expanded settlement, and the town, named Yerbuena, began to attract American settlers. Commodore John D. Sloat claimed California for the United States on July 7, 1846, during the Mexican-American War, and Captain John B. Montgomery arrived to claim Yerba Buena two days later. Yerba Buena was renamed San Francisco on January 30th of the next year, and Mexico officially seceded the territory to the United States at the end of the war in 1848. So which to me sounds like the William Richardson guy, who was the Mexican-English guy, set up shop in SF. He and his buddy planned out how to expand it into a cute little city. And then 10 years later, Sloat rolled up and was like, hey, there's a war going on. I'm claiming this entire California territory for the U.S. And then two days later, Captain Montgomery pulled up and was like, fuck your settlement. Fuck the name, you're buena. This is San Francisco now. Um, and then the article that I got this information from had the audacity to say that despite its attractive location as a port and naval base, San Francisco is still a small settlement with inhospitable geography, which like, um, I'm sorry, we have the best climate ever. Inhospitable, my ass. Um, I will concede to the fact, though, that SF is entirely sand, and that's probably what they were talking about. Anyway, so now we're in 1849 with the discovery of gold in Sutter Hill, which is like up past Stockton and southeast of Sac. So I don't know, really. I mean, San Francisco is the closest port city, so that's why people needed to stop here. But then they had to go much more north. Apparently, so many people were in a hurry to get to the gold mines in the fields that they just left their boats behind, like. The boats would dock. Everyone would get off and rush to get gold. Um, it's told that there were at least 500 ships just left abandoned in SF Bay and converted and used as storefronts and saloons and, like, brothels. Some were left to rot or intentionally sunk. And SF was expanding so much that they landfilled some of it and, like, made those boats into more land by landfilling it. And then the area was like a cute little cove called Yerba Buena Cove. Because of the gold, California couldn't be granted statehood quickly enough and became a state in 1850. I want to say it was like the 35th state, but I really am basing that off nothing. I don't know. The U.S. military built Fort Point at the bottom of the Golden Gate. Uh, obviously, the Golden Gate wasn't there at the time, but and a fort on Alcatraz Island to make sure that the U.S. had control over the bay. At this point, not only was the gold rush in full swing, but silver had been discovered in Nevada in 1859, and more and more people docked in San Francisco in search of their fortune. I think this is my favorite time in, of U.S. history, because this is when, like, the Barbary Coast came about, um, but that's a different episode. These Barbary Coast days were a crazy fun time, though. Entrepreneurs came to make their money, including the founders of Wells Fargo and Bank of California, which I haven't heard of, so whatever. The point, the port of San Francisco was developed and the Pacific Railroad was completed, and that made SF even more popular and populated because it became a serious hub of trade and commerce. 
Levi Strauss opened up, Domingo Ghirardelli, who I've mentioned before, came and began making chocolate. Chinese immigrants, many of which who had constructed the Pacific Railroad, made up 8% of the city's population and created the vibrant Chinatown. The first cable cars ever were popping up, Victorian housing architecture was popping off, and Golden Gate Park was planned. San Francisco built schools, churches, theaters, and the hallmarks of civic life with that gold and silver money. Actually, when my mom and I went to Virginia City like 15 years ago, we learned that the dome of SF City Hall was made either of silver or funded by silver from the Comstock Lode in Nevada. Also, the Presidio developed into the most important American military installation on the Pacific Coast. By 1890, San Francisco's population approached 300,000, making it the eighth largest city in the U.S. Around 1901, San Francisco was a major city known for its flamboyant style, stately hotels, giant mansions on Knob Hill, and a thriving art scene. And then, the first North American plague epidemic was in San Francisco, called the San Francisco Plague of 1900 to 1904. I had never heard about this plague, so if you'd heard about it, let me know. It was an epidemic of bubonic plague centered on San Francisco's Chinatown. It was the first plague of the or in the continental U.S. It was recognized by medical authorities in March of 1900, but its existence was denied for more than two years by California's governor, Henry Gage. His denial was based on business reasons to protect the reputations of San Francisco and California and to prevent the loss of revenue due to quarantine. The failure to act quickly may have allowed the disease to establish itself among local animal populations. Federal authorities worked to prove that there was a major health problem and they isolated the affected area. This undermined the credibility of Gage and he lost the governorship in the 1902 election. The new governor, George Party, implemented a medical solution and the epidemic was stopped in 1904. There were 121 cases identified, including 119 deaths. So that's what, like a 99% death rate? Fuck. Um, So after this plague, as I think everyone with a pulse knows, was the 1906 earthquake, which left 400,000 San Franciscans homeless. Lots of those people just picked up and left to the East Bay to start over. Um, The city went fucking insane with rebuilding and dumped so much money into city infrastructure. And it was at this time that many of the buildings that stand today were built. Civil engineer Michael O'Shaughnessy was hired by SF Mayor James Rolfe, as chief engineer for the city in 1912 to supervise the construction of the Twin Peaks Reservoir, the Stockton Street Tunnel, the Twin Peaks Tunnel, the San Francisco Municipal Railway, the Auxiliary Water Supply System, and brand new sewers. San Francisco's streetcar system, of which the J, K, L, M, and N line survive today, was pushed to completion by O'Shaughnessy between 1915 and 1927. It was the O'Shaughnessy Dam, Hetch Hetchy Reservoir, and Hetch Hetchy Aqueduct that would end up having the largest effect on San Francisco because the abundant water supply enabled San Francisco to become what it is today. Going forward, in the wake of the 1929 stock market crash, not a single San Francisco-based bank failed. 
While the rest of the country was fucked up in the middle of depression, SF took two great civil engineering projects and at the same time built the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge during the Great Depression. Alcatraz, which if you remember was a military fort, began its new life as a federal max security prison, housing notorious inmates such as Al Capone and the Birdman of Alcatraz. San Francisco later celebrated its regained grandeur with a World's Fair, the Golden Gate International Exposition in 1939 and 1940, creating Treasure Island in the middle of the bay to house it. The United Nations Charter creating the United Nations was drafted and signed in San Francisco in 1945, and in 1951, the Treaty of San Francisco officially ended the fucking war with Japan. So, no big deal. So now we're post-war, suburbs are booming, white flight is in full swing. From 1950 to 1980, the city lost 10% of its population to the suburbs, Um, But it's cool because then there was a massive wave of immigration from Asian and Latin American countries, which is really, you know, how we see SF today. The 60s hit, counterculture is raging. We all know what that looks like, so I'm not going to go into it. The 70s brought San Francisco to the forefront of the gay rights movement. Harvey Milk was murdered along with Mayor Moscone by douchebag Dan White, Jim Jones, Actually, something I just learned via someone's Instagram story is that Tucker Carlson uh, was born in the mission. And he also, like, in his yearbook has, like, the Dan White Society of America, which is, like, a fake organization. It's, like, not a real organization, but it's, like, real to the people who, I don't know, were part of it. Anyway, it was just Tucker Carlson being, like, fuck gay people. So... Fuck him. Um, Jim Jones comes around at this time with his church before, you know, Jonestown. And then the 80s brought the Manhattanization of San Francisco, meaning lots of skyscrapers like the Transamerica Pyramid were built. Um, Fun fact about the Transamerica Pyramid is that nobody wanted it here. Um, There were such crazy big protests saying it was going to be just such an eyesore ruining the skyline how could we and obviously now it's like it's the transamerica pyramid coit tower and the golden gate bridge that are like the only things that like they they're what how could we think of sf without those you know so jokes on all those naysayers as always uh then we have the dot-com boom and the birth of silicon valley in the 90s and now we're here And I really wonder what these years are going to be categorized as in hindsight, you know, like when we look back, is it just going to be like homelessness and drugs? But like that's always existed, you know, is it going to be the age of gentrification? Is it going to be the age of transplants? But that can't be it. We've always been like a city of transplants. All right, well, there's a very brief, brief, brief history of San Francisco. Of course, I didn't get into any of the really important bits, like the Native peoples who were here before. You know, I went to a concert at the Bill Graham maybe a year ago now, and, like, the opening act was these, uh, like, a Native tribe a native organization talking about how we're on stolen land and it wasn't you know like 
accusatory didn't like bring the mood down or anything it was just like hey did you guys know this here's some brief history and it was really cool I enjoyed it um so I think that probably deserves a space in this podcast series because obviously we're on stolen land I mean like I said this is the best weather out there so obviously people were here before the European settlers this place rocks Um, And I'm sorry that we destroyed it and turned it into Drug Alley, but I guess can't feel too bad because that's not my fault. I don't know. Uh, Okay. Thanks for listening. I love you. See you next week. Mm